What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, how's our old mate Jace going? I hear he's doing fantastic. In fact, he just keeps selling so much dog gear to our loyal listeners at such remarkable prices. What's he got? He's got... Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Oh, he's got everything. Balls, yep. tugs, leashes. I don't think balls and tugs should be said in the same sentence. Well, we just did. Okay. Uh, mills. That's what Jason's pumping out like hot little the potatoes. The mills. Firepaw, he's HF mills. HF mills, yeah. Yep, he's got them all. Yep. Um, and we've done that mills episode yep. on Patreon, so yep. a lot of people are learning about how to use the mill. Yeah, and getting them from Jason. Getting he them from Jason. sleds now. Sleds and yep. parachutes, I see. Parachutes. That you tested with Remy. Tested the parachute, yeah. Yep. I can confirm it inflates. I know he still doesn't have a website. I know he does not. <laughs> so if you'd like to buy something from Jason, could be a Herm Springer item. Yeah. Uh, you could get that from Jason, but you have to do it through Facebook and and in order to do that, you have to head to Einswick Dog Quip, which is, how do you spell that? E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K, Einswick. Einswick Dog Quip. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today, we're in an echoey room in Canberra. We're not in studio. We're in a different location altogether. This is as much a studio as our place is it a is. studio. Yeah, yeah, it's actually more like a studio because it, it actually looks like a, a studio. Yeah, enough. and we were talking about getting one of these tables. But hey, let's introduce... Dallas Berkovics. Hello. Hi, Dallas. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being a part of the show. It's been. I think we've talked about having you on the show since last year. We have, yeah. It was pretty early. From yeah. the start. Pat and I have even had it on the show where we've said we're going to have you on the show and we finally have you on the show, which is great because, look, you've come up to our location at Dural plenty of times. You've done probably about... A dozen seminars there over the years. Yep. And funnily enough, we wanted to talk to you about your expertise in, well, your experience. Yeah, I was going to say. I was, I, Let's I not go wanna, too far. I didn't want to put too much pressure on you, I but know. your experience in the rescue fraternity. Yeah. Because it's something that, it's a very popular and it's a very culturalised subject these days. The more you are involved in the dog industry, I think the more you start hearing people echo you should have a rescue dog Mm -hmm. or you know have you considered a rescue dog or I'm working with rescue and so forth like that and you've had quite a bit of experience in that over the years yeah so we would like to get your origin stories in how you got into rescue what motivated you to do that when it all started and tell us about the highs and lows of the career yeah So I started off, I didn't grow up in a dog household. I grew up with cats. As soon as I moved out, bought a house, I got myself a rescue dog. I was one of those people who went to the RSPCA with no knowledge about dogs, didn't think about it, got myself a German Shepherd. She was a seizure case. She had a few issues, but, you know, that all went really well. Added a few more, added some Rottweilers to the family, and that was really good. They were all sort of middle-aged dogs, so... I eventually adopted Dusty, who's my current Labrador that I still have. 
from a rescue group. And at the time, they were looking for people to help out. I was managing clubs at the time. So I said, oh, well, I can help with some fundraising because I've got access to suppliers and things like that to help help raise some money and that sort of thing. So I did that for a while and eventually they sort of sucked me in uh, (laughs) as they do. How long Um, ago was that? So that was about 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. So the group that I'm with, ACT Rescue and Foster, we do um, volunteer behavioural assessments at the Pounds um, around Canberra and New South Wales as well. So I started doing a bit of that. Then eventually got into the fostering and got my first foster dog and it's all been a hilly slope from there, ups and downs and lots of dogs through the house and overall it's a you know been a great experience but there's certainly um, a lot goes on that's not easy and mm. makes it makes your life difficult. Mm. So how many dogs have you got that are yours? At the moment just two. Two that are yours but yeah. how many dogs are living with you? Three at the moment so it's it's quiet for me. I'm supposed to be on a um bit of a hiatus at the moment. Okay. I've just had knee surgery, my Roddy's had cruciate surgery and my Labrador is now 14 and he's got laryngeal paralysis. So oh, we were taking some time out and, and I was burnt out a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were taking a bit of time out, but I have had a dog come back that I rehomed as a puppy. So she's back with me at the moment just to find her a new home. Mm-hmm. Um, so just three, which is, yeah, a quiet house for me. Off topic, we just mentioned it, your Roddy cruciate surgery, was that like full TPLO? Yeah. Mm. Yep. What's, yeah. the re- what's the expected recovery time on that? Oh, look, this is the second one. The first one took over 12 months, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a long. In saying that, we had, you know, she got out of the house and went belting around my suburb and, right. and heard it then. And this time I probably just haven't done a very good job at um, looking after it. She's going pretty well, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's certainly... What's the cost involved in that type of surgery these days? Oh, it's a couple of thousand. Mm. Yeah. So it certainly hasn't helped Pet my bank insurance balance. or did you have to compensate no, yourself? No, I had it and then... Um, you let it lapse? Yeah, let it lapse. Mm. My credit card um, got hacked and I just didn't change it over. Oh, uh, neck shit. minute. <laughs> yeah, neck minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Devoed. So... Yeah, I'm staring down the barrel of that myself. Yeah. I'm just going to have to have it at some point and I'm just trying to... Try and delay it as long as possible. Because yep. he's got a tear, right? Just hanging on. Yeah. Well, it it's not visible. Like they can't see a tear. They can see like other evidence of the tear. Mm. And they can't see that, but you can feel in his knee it's not quite right. And he's got a, yeah. a, a an altered gait. Mm. But we're just prehabbing as much as possible before yeah. he's gonna go. Basically the advice was that I can't make it any better by doing surgery um, at the moment. So it's got to get much worse before they can make it better. Yeah. Which is one of the key reasons we're not going to America for an extended period because I know with my luck I'd spend fifteen thousand dollars taking the dog over there and yep. he'd blow it out Gone. he'd blow it out on the first day. Yes. And I'd be travelling around America with him locked in a box the whole time. So it's, <laughs> that's why that's not happening. Yeah. But enough about me. Hey. All about Dallas. Yeah. Mm. So Canberra, the dog scene down here, tell us a bit about it. What's who's down here? Who are the players? What's what's going on? So we only have we've got the RSPCA, which is the only shelter um, mm-hmm. here in Canberra. They don't work um, a lot with rescue. They tend to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just one pound, which is the Canberra um, Domestic Animal Services. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only pound in Canberra. Um, it's it's chock-a-block. A lot of the changes in legislation down here that are, they're seizing a lot more dogs. So I think um, when I was speaking to somebody last week, they had um, 
something like 70 dogs and only 50 pens. Wow. So they're currently boarding boarding dogs in the boarding kennel. So um, w- what changes in legislation have led to those seizures? Oh, look, they're just seizing a lot more dogs for harassment and things like that. Right. So the, the ACT has become really strict on any kind of, you know, dog attacks, any harassment, anything like that, they'll seize them mm-hmm. um, at the drop of a hat. Yeah, it's pretty full, pretty full there. And then there's, um, so Queanbeyan, which is just over the border, there's a pound there. There's a couple of rescue groups, so foster-based rescue groups, which Mm -hmm. is the group that I'm with, and then there's a couple of other big ones for life rescue. It's another really good one. And then there's some some of the other ones like your... um, Herd to homes and things like that have foster carers in the area as well. They don't right. naturally have a base here, but um, they have foster carers in the area. So the rescue you're involved with doesn't have a physical premises. You guys are just a network of people that get involved with the pounds in order to assist them in rehoming dogs. Yep, yep. So we're, we've got about between 40 and 50 foster carers at any one time mm-hmm. that are all based around the ACT. So no location or anything like that. It's all all done through the home. And how it works is we go in and do the behavioural assessment every Saturday on the dogs that are due for euthanasia at the pounds that we deal with. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, like Canberra, they only get seven days before they're wow. on the list for euthanasia. So we go in every Saturday, they give, this, give us the list of dogs that are due um, for the Wednesday and then we try to find rescue for them in those couple of days. Right. So you would get them out of the pound and into foster care? Yep. Uh, so you rely on having enough foster carers to take them out, hold on to them until you then don't have a time frame of how long to, to rehome them? No, no time frame. So they stay for a minimum of two weeks. We do a quarantine period of two weeks mm-hmm. um, just to make sure we're not passing on disease and things like that into the community mm-hmm. and then any time from there. So minimum two weeks but... Sometimes they'll take over a year. I think the longest one's over two years. And what if they um, require veterinary treatment, Dallas? Who looks after that? So the rescue group that I'm with, we do, it's all paid for. So mm. you covered all your vet work and all that sort of thing is covered. So we do a lot of fundraising throughout the year. We're pretty lucky our group bank balance is quite healthy. Right. So we probably get a lot of things that other groups don't get. We get a, um, a lot of donations and things like that of food. So we're pretty lucky in that in that respect. That but we everything get you're doing in your in your rescue organisation is all voluntarily. Yeah. 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 Well, all, all volunteer, volunteer, I should say. Yeah. yeah. And so the food that you're uh, given, like if the rest, someone donates a bag of food to the rescue, that then gets like disseminated to those foster carers? Yeah. Yep. So our group, we've got a warehouse that we, well, it's somebody's basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we call yeah. it the shopping warehouse. And that's where all the donations go. And then foster carers can just go and pick them up, right. um, whatever they need. But you do end up, um, a lot of the food that we get donated is not always the best quality food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately, foster carers are starting to see the benefits of feeding appropriate food and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, you know, the big bags of Powell and all that sort of stuff and um, anything colours tends to get left behind, mm-hmm. um, which is good to see. You know, they're starting to see that the benefits of, of feeding really good food. That's good. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to pay for it yourself, so it yeah. can get quite quite expensive. I guess what a lot of people don't tend to see is the amount of work and organisation that actually goes into this. Like foster care and, and rescue is not just something that you can just – do a little bit of dibble-dabble in, you're either in or you're out. Yeah. Uh, and that's the difficulty of it because it is like, it's almost like an organised army. You've got to have a lot of people, a lot of space, a lot of time, a lot of dedication. And one of the things I guess people don't realise is the amount of stress that's involved in it. Yeah. You know, it is highly stressful, highly emotive. 
I'm just going to say it. There's a lot of wrong type of people involved in oh, rescue yeah. um, who shouldn't be in it because they're in it for a lot of the wrong reasons. But there are hundreds and thousands of right people that are in it. And, I mean, look, seriously, my heart goes out to them because mm. I did a little bit with Rottweilers. I did a little bit of help with the Rottweiler side of things. But it is so demanding and so involved. I didn't have time to maintain a career and maintain rescue and help people with it all the time. Yeah. And I, that probably sounds a little selfish and, and in a way it was, but I just didn't have the time to be able to commit to it. Like yeah. it was just so full on and there were people ringing me around the clock and there were people wanting me to take dogs in and I was getting in trouble from the council for having too many dogs in my backyard and it was just it was just helter-skelter at one stage. So Yeah, it totally. I, I, once you're in there, they suck you in and, it, and it, mm. you know, you see how many dogs are waiting and how many dogs need help and you start to go, oh, my God, mm. no, I need to fit more dogs in and then, you know, they're calling out at the last minute, you know, this dog gets put to sleep or it comes to your house and so you go, oh, you know, I can fit another one in when really, you know, in reality you probably can't. So I think it's, you know, it's pretty special people that, that take it on and that do it well and really commit to it because it takes just so much time, just the training involved in getting a foster care on board. Like we get a lot of people who just want to try out a dog essentially before they adopt or, you know, I just want to foster for a couple of months and it's just... I think they don't see what goes on in the background to try and get inductions done and all the paperwork and, and all the training and that sort of thing. And um, I think, you know, some groups who don't train their, their foster carers and don't do any of that sort of thing, it you know, it probably works for them. But, you know, for us, we want to make sure that we set them up to succeed and we set the dogs up to succeed as well because it's just important for them that the foster carers know what they're doing and, and are not going to do anything stupid. You know, mm. it only takes one person to take a dog with parvo into a into mm. a shop or to a dog park and, you know, next minute all of rescue's got a bad name, so... So on that, this might be a, an ACT-specific thing and for a lot of... For our listeners in America, ACT is Australian Capital Territory. It's a very small state held within New South Wales that just holds the Canberra, which is the capital, right, which is kind of... Where all the politicians reside. Yeah, and... I know we're sitting at the table with a Canberran, but it's kind of this fake city, right? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it, uh, it's just this fake city in the middle of nowhere where they go, hey, this is where, where the, the country runs from, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. literally what they did. There was, well, it was that the Sydney and Melbourne were arguing about who was going to be the capital. Yeah. And they were like, you know what? We'll build the city halfway in between and then that can be it. Uh, anyway. Which it's not. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> and there's Plenty a big, big for me. <laughs> big fake lake in the middle and everything. Anyway. Yeah. So fake. So this might be a, a specific law to hear, but how does the chain of custody work with the dog in rescue? So if, if the dog has been seized, for example, or found on the street or whatever, and then I imagine he's then in the custody of the pound or the RSPCA or whoever he is, when the rescue says, okay, don't euthanise, we believe because of behavioural assessments he's rehomable, we want to take him – is he then the custody of the rescues and then into the foster carer and is he in their custody? Like, and yep. So the ownership yeah. changes of the dog. Yeah, ownership goes straight from um, the pound essentially. Um, so once they become the property of the pound, which is either once they've been in there a certain number of days depending where you are um, or if they've been surrendered to the pound, then they get signed straight into the foster carer's name. So mm -hmm. if I go as a foster carer to pick up a dog, it's then microchipped straight into my name. Right, right. So you're so you're the foster carer, really. Uh, 
um, in name only. You are the owner. You're the owner. While yep. you have the dog, it Absolutely. is your dog and you're responsible for it and uh, yep. everything that happens to it after that, you might use the term foster carer because that separates you emotionally from the yep. idea of keeping the dog. But from the observer, from looking from the outside, it is your dog and yep. you are responsible for it until you uh, essentially find someone to give it to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So you're on the microchip, legally responsible until you find it another home and, and sign it over. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a three-week trial as well for our new home. So um, they can return any time within that three weeks. But, you know, for most of us, we'll take the dog back any time. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, if we can. And yeah. so as a foster carer, what – I know you said you just get some people who are like – you know, maybe do-gooders or want to try out a dog or whatever, what vetting do you have of that? Like imagine uh, you don't know me, I turn up and say, hey, I've just been – I'm, I'm in a the good army. person. I'm I in the army. I've just, dogs. Been, I've just been posted to Canberra. You don't know yep. me. I'm, I'm new to the area. Yep. I want to be a foster carer. What's the process after that? Um, so with our group, it, d- it differs with every group obviously, but um, we do like an introductory session where they come and they learn all about rescue. So they learn, you know, things like the fact that in that two-week quarantine period, the dog can't leave your house. You've got to work out mm. ways to – and also that that dog may be bringing disease into your house. So mm-hmm. your own dogs are at risk um, depending whether you um, decide to quarantine from your own dogs if you have them, things like that. Also, you know, the behavioural issues that you might expect in that time. We talk to them about health, health sort of stuff, behaviour. Um, so, you know, and the, and the things that can happen while the dog's in foster care. So the damage that you're going to get to your house, mm. all that sort of stuff and give them, you know, here's the reality picture. You know, it's not all about playing with puppies and having a really <coughs> nice time. And a lot of the dogs that we get in rescue, especially down here in Canberra, we don't get a lot of small white fluffies. We don't get a lot of really easy dogs. So a lot of them are big. They're bull breeds a lot. And, you know, just getting that expectation around what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. we'll talk to you about that make sure we come and do a house check, check that your fences are set up, that you have a quarantine area, um, a separation, like we make all our foster carers have a separation area. So if anything happens with the dog, they can be separated from your own dogs. Right. Um, so like a, a kennel or just a, a way of taking your dog away from, yep. from the others. Yeah, yep. So usually some sort of separate fenced area mm-hmm. um, or a dog run or something like that that can, um, you know, serve as separation if, you know, mm-hmm. there's a fight and we need to um, separate the dogs temporarily while we work that out. Okay, so then good meaning Pat Stewart turns up and I say, yeah, I understand all that. I'm just going to be hanging on to this dog until you as the rescue or someone else in the rescue finds a rehome for it or, or is that part of my responsibility as well? Yeah, yep. So with our group, we do all the rehoming ourselves. Um, different right. groups do, do it differently. Like some of them will have a like a HQ that takes all the inquiries and then sends them out to the foster carers who then rehome them. Mm-hmm. Um, we do it ourselves. So I take all the inquiries and then choose the home for the dog that I've got. I tend to like that way better for myself because I know the dog that I've got in my care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the sort of home that it needs to go to and yeah. I want to be able to vet, vet that it's the right home. What's the funnel for that? Like how do people know that you have that dog? Like how do they get in contact with you? So mainly through website. We've got a – our website is quite strong so we get a lot of inquiries through our own website in our rescue but also there's websites like Pet Rescue that 
we'll advertise dogs on behalf of all the rescue groups in Canberra. Um, So that's like a car sales website where you put, I've got my foster dog, I put him for available adoption on this generic website. People can search by breed maybe or location or whatever. Yeah, normally not breed um, because a lot of the rescues are moving away from breed identity because Mm -hmm. it's just not, you know, reality. Um, That's good to hear. I'm pleased to hear that. Yeah, I think Mm. a lot of them are going there, which is good. Um, So usually by location, size, things like that. And then, yeah, they can have a look and then contact the foster carer and right. and go from there. So it's not up to the foster carer to be like <laughs> all over their own Facebook, like, hey, come get this dog from me. Someone <laughs> no. come get this dog. No, I imagine there's some <laughs> groups or, or, you know, there's people who just um, foster for themselves and, and do it that way. But, mm-hmm. you know, certainly in our group, we have a pretty strong, we go to a lot of stalls and things like that throughout mm-hmm. the year at different places and advertise the dogs there and, um you know, we've got a Facebook page, Instagram, things like that. So, okay. um, you know, people people know where to go generally to find find okay. a rescue. So, good do a Pat Stewart has just arrived in Canberra. I decide I want to be a, a foster carer. I've come to you guys. You've checked out my house. I'm aware that it's going to be up to me ultimately to decide who the dog goes to. Yep. Is there any training that the rescue provide to me? Like, imagine, see, like... It's interesting for me because I know you have known you for years and you're at all the events and yep. I know you're a very good dog trainer. What happens when old mate Pat Stewart who has no idea turns up and yep. is like, yeah, no, I've, I've got really good intentions. I've watched the season Milan box set, right? <laughs> so is yep. there any training that's provided to those people or? Yeah. So we set you up with a mentor to start with. So mm-hmm. we have people who like me who have been in rescue for a long time, usually have some sort of training knowledge mm-hmm. um, and we'll assist the foster carer in choosing their first foster dog and also any behavioral sort of issues that come up in that um, sort of period while they've got the dog. We also, we have a rating system. So when we go into the pounds and have a look at these dogs and and we do various tests on them to sort of see, you know, what sort of home is going to suit this dog. And Mm -hmm. obviously we get, you know, maybe 10 to 20 minutes to do a test on a dog who's Mm -hmm. in a pound who only gets seven days. So it's not perfect, um, but it does give us a really good picture of here's some of the things you might expect will come up if you take this dog into your home. So things like we do test for resource guarding, which is not, I know it's contentious in rescue. We do it more for the point that, you know, if we do see resource guarding in that dog, then we'll generally say to the foster carers with kids, you know, probably don't take this one. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you don't have kids and you might have some training knowledge, great, you know, this might be a dog for you. So what does that test look like? Why is that contentious? Uh, A lot of people don't like the resource guarding test. One, because it you know, there's studies that have shown that the um, what they see in the pound doesn't always come up in the home. Yeah. Um, and it is quite stressful, you know, you're shoving a hand, a fake hand in a dog's face. It's not reality. Especially in a confined quarters like kennels and pounds generally are. Like it's a tiny little, well, not tiny. Well, Some of them are more yard. generous than the others. It's got a big yard. Mm. Yeah, but... But you're right. I mean, there's elevated stress there already and it's, yep. it's quite artificial as compared to what is in a home. However, all things need to be considered, I guess. I mean, mm. if you're seeing a trend or a behaviour in a dog, you can't overrule that it wouldn't happen if the dog experienced stress in the home as well. Yep. Yeah, and that's what it's about. It's about building a picture about here's some of the things that you might see. Mm. Um, so if you're going to have a problem with dealing with that, don't take the dog. Uh, so we give them a rating. So when we um, test them, we give them a gold, which are really easy dogs. They're dogs that could go to pretty much any home, any family, mm-hmm. um, and they should be fine. So that means they're usually always good with other dogs. They're good with people. They're good with handling, all that sort of stuff. 
Silver dogs are our dogs who are generally pretty good. They should be fairly good with other dogs. They might just display things like jumping up, pulling on lead. Mm -hmm. Um, They might be strong. They might be really active dogs, drivey dogs, things like that. So no major behavioural issues, but just some training stuff that somebody might need to work on. Mm -hmm. And then there's our bronze dogs. And bronze dogs are dogs who have some sort of behavioural issue that will need serious work. So we also rate our foster carers. So if you're new in foster caring, you can really only take, well, we say you can only take gold dogs, but you really never get gold dogs yeah, in town. Yeah, I was going to say, how many of those do you see? <laughs> yeah, they always get adopted from the pound, so yep. there's not many of them. So usually they'll take the gold end of the silver dogs um, or the silver dogs with behaviour things that they can easily work on. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the silver, silver carers can take silver or gold. Um, we don't have a lot of bronze carers. Um, we have people that can do it. But not many people choose to take, mm, you know, problems. a dog. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a few people that will go, yep, that's something I can work with because either it's a, you know, it might be a wonderful dog who's just not good with other dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not living with other dogs in your home, then that might be fine for you. So, yeah, they can sort of choose. We put them all up. We have an internal website for our foster carers that then they sort of look at them and choose what dog would suit them. Um, we also have an approval process for our foster carers, so they have to be approved by the committee to be able to take that dog. And what they're sort of looking for is, you know, do you have too many dogs? Are you taking on too much? Is this a dog that's really suitable for your home? Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so back into my hypothetical, I've come to Canberra, you've come, you've given me some basic training, um, introduction to rescue, what it is, you've assessed me as being able to have a silver dog. Yep. You bring out that silver dog and a few weeks later I say, you know what, I'm keeping him, right? Yep. Now, as a fosterer, that's been inducted into your rescue and I say, and I only have the capacity for one dog, so I'm out. Yeah. Is that, do you consider that like, okay, this is a good scenario that the dog's rehomed or do you go, you motherfucker, you wasted our time. And <laughs> oh, <you> look, <laughs> a, a bit of both. Uh-huh. You know, you're always happy when people find their forever dog. You know, it's a dog that's been saved. It's not dead. It's out of the pound, mm-hmm. you know, so it's always good. But at the same time, we're always disappointed especially if it's a foster carer that we were like, oh, you know, you're going to be really good. good. Yeah. Is that a thing that happens regularly? Yeah. 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 Because like one of the things having raised dogs to sell, that horrifies people that Mm. you're going to part with the dog. And Mm. uh, and even myself, I have to admit, it's only only hard the first time. (laughs) Yeah, it is really. (laughs) After that, you're like, get out of here. Yeah. But I imagine for a lot of people probably take on the idea, I'm going to do this, I'm going to foster a dog and then just think, no, I'm, I'm keeping him. Yeah. The, I think the first one is always the hardest. Like it's the one where, you know, you're in love with this thing and it's you, you're so brand new to it. So we get a lot of people that really struggle with the first one. But I think, you know, usually once people get a few under their belt they, and once they see how many dogs are waiting to come into rescue and then they start going, God, if I get rid of this one, I can help that next one. Yeah. So, you know, for me it's – and a lot of the time, you know, for me now I, I can't wait for them to get out. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, I just want to have my own dogs for a little while and have a yeah. little break. So, you know, I, I love it when they go. That's where I want to just ask the next question is how do you identify as a group and what do you do about burnout? Do you have a backup system or a network of looking out for each other when you're starting to experience that cycle of burnout? Because I, the reason I ask this question is because the lady that I knew in Melbourne, and I didn't know her well, and I feel a bit guilty of this, but she committed suicide because 
she was so involved in the dogs and she just felt so helpless of what was happening with the dogs and the amount of dogs that were coming to her and nobody was checking on her, nobody was giving her back up. Look, it probably wasn't the only reason, but as in her note, she noted that it was because of the intensity with the dogs and she just mm. felt so helpless and out of control yeah. um, that she had no relief from it. And I think that's I think that's a real danger with people in this industry, especially with rescue, is that people need help themselves. I mean, we're so... When I say we, I'm talking about the people in the industry who are doing this because I'm not trying to include myself on that. What I'm talking about is the people who are in this industry and who are experiencing that, who is looking out for them, who's helping them, and do you find that you it's sufficient or it's not sufficient enough? Yeah, look, it's definitely an area that needs more work. I think I'm really lucky in our group we have a really good system. I think we've been around 17 years or something and we've got being Canberra, we've got a lot of public servants, so there's a lot mm. of policy and procedure behind everything that we do. So our pr- approval processes help with things like that mm. because our, you know, approvals committee will start to go, well, you know, you've taken a lot of dogs, you've taken a lot of difficult dogs. Um, we have a rescue subcommittee who meet monthly who deal with, you know, how foster care is going. Just a few months ago, we ran a session with a um, psychologist down here who's also a foster carer who talked about burnout and how to help yourself and all that sort of stuff. So we have a pretty good system um, with the group that I'm with, but it's certainly in rescue. It is one of the really big, really big things that um, they need to put more work into because there's so Mm. many. And I think especially the smaller groups or people who are rescuing by themselves, Mm. there's nobody to help them. And it can just, the more you take in, you know, like even for me um, with the big group, it's just my Facebook feed is just, oh, my friend at work has got a dog and they need to get rid of it. And you come home after doing your own job and then you've got your foster dogs and you've got to do all of that in your own life. And then the guilt on top of it, the mounting yeah. guilt, more and more guilt, more pressure. And that's the danger that people find themselves in. Absolutely. Is that they feel that they've got to um, take on this mounting pressure from society all the time. Well, if, if nobody else is going to take on this dog, who's going to do it before it dies? And then you'll feel yep. like, well, I've really, I'm really stretched. I've got no room and well, maybe I've got a bathroom here that I can put another yep. dog in. And that's genuinely what I've seen people doing. I've just thought that it just is insane the amount of dogs they've mm-hmm. had in their home that they have no life. Like yep. they come home from a job that they're already ta- tapped out and stressful from and then they're coming home to another job where they've got to look after everybody else's discarded dogs that everybody else has just thrown away and thought, well, this is somebody else's problem and this big-hearted fool has taken on all these dogs. Mm. And I mean that with respect. I'm yeah, not saying absolutely. that in a nasty way. Yeah. But they take on all these dogs and then they realise I'm completely tapped out. Yeah. And there's no one there for them, no one yep. to turn to, no one to offer any assistance or any mental reprieve from it. And that's that's dangerous. And that, yep. I think that's that's something that the industry needs to be aware of is yep. that when, when we are discarding these dogs and when we're just throwing them out like an old iPhone – they become somebody else's problem and that mm. prob- that person is then inherited a problem themselves and it's really difficult on their own mental health. That is something I feel really strongly about and I feel like, not that I'm anti-rescue, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I've never had, I've never been involved in rescue. Uh, I can talk about like how I tried to get involved and why I didn't. <laughs> but this is hard to articulate is that I feel like giving up a dog should be more difficult. Uh, I feel like we just have to, not that a rescue can impact that, yeah. but there should be legislative things in place that, like, if you took on this responsibility, you have the capacity to privately rehome dogs. It's not like going to a rescue is your only hope. Like, there's loads of things you can do for your dog. 
And I just feel like people need to take more responsibility of their dogs. Mm. We spoke on the podcast. Every dog I've ever owned that needed to be euthanized, I did it myself. Yeah. Because I just feel like that's my responsibility. I've made this decision for you. Like I'm going to be the one that does it. Mm. I don't expect that level of commitment to people, but I mean, fuck, you you chose to have a dog. But it's like yeah. it should be like discarding a firearm, right? Yeah. It's your responsibility to <coughs> make right. sure it See gets it safe. to the end. That's right. It's, right. Safely, it's safely stored away with somebody else who's going to take care of it and do the right thing. Yeah, and mm. like the need for rescue just in my mind is just outrageous. Like a, mm. and the, the idea that someone would get a dog and then just be like, oh, I'm done with this fucker or – have a dog seized and not try to get it back. Like I understand dogs get seized because of whatever, but then yeah. the the prolonged court battle goes on and whatever, like mm. trying to get the dog back. It just is so been, like so foreign to me. And I, you know, I've had friends who have had circumstances change and have had to not can't keep the dog anymore. And as a person in the industry, they come to me and well, we can I can rehome a dog today. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because but because I don't push that, I don't do it regularly. I only do it for close friends but like I can I can put a post on Facebook and that dog will be gone but I understand that in rescue you can't do that because you burn out your network you can only give away so many dogs but I feel like people should be somehow forced to take that responsibility so that others don't have to yeah. because there are people who will just continue to shoulder the burden of others until the it gets too heavy that they collapse under it well they've been yeah. doing that with children for thousands of years yeah exactly mm-hmm. right where people just you know they'll go out have a drunken bender um, come home and go oh God, you know, this has happened. No, no, it's both people's faults. I, I get that, but that's another child that is going to land on the doorstep of somebody else to take take responsibility and, you know, hope they don't turn out to be the next serial killer. But we certainly, <laughs> like, in, in our society, in our culture, you, you don't get that, right? Like, I mean, I know people who have adopted kids in Australia. That is nearly impossible to do. Like, yeah. there is more adopters than there is kids to be adopted. Mm. That it's not any... And yet there's so many homeless people and kids on the street. Yeah, well, that's people for who are turds to their kids that's a that's maybe a different thing but it's really like i just it's so foreign to me the idea that you would have like oh i'm gonna get a dog and then go mm. oh no i don't want you anymore you're someone yeah. else's it, it would be I mean, foreign to all of us stories. though because we're all empath- we all have empathy for dogs yeah and that, that's the thing is that we all have a genuine desire and love to see dogs improve that's why all of us sitting here we're all trainers. I mean, you've done the NDTF course as well and yeah. you're in rescue and you own your own successful business and so forth. But the reason we do it is because we actually love dogs. Yeah. You know, the reason we spend time sitting in this room setting up podcast material is, and the subject that we chose to talk about was dogs is because yeah. we're, we get dogs, we love them. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is, is there's, there's a myriad of people out there in society who do not feel this way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they are so they, they're so closed off to the thought of loving that dog. Like I've been around to people's houses, and I'm sure you have, Pat, and I'm sure you have, Dallas, where you're doing a lesson and you can see the glint in their eyes of saying, "Please just say to me, get rid of this dog." Yeah, because they've saying they'll they'll tell you what a destruction this dog is and what a disruption the dog is to their life, and the fact that they only bought it because their kids whinged to them at the time and it was a huge mistake, and they're just begging for you to say, "Get rid of the dog." Yeah, because they don't want to be the one that, to be the ass about it. They just want someone to say. You they need, need, yeah, they need mm. permission. They to need do permission it. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but even those people are better than the people that are just like, "See you later, fucker." And yeah. open the gate and let the dog yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of genuine stories as well in rescue. One of the foster dogs who, the one out of I don't know, well over a hundred that I ended up keeping, Gracie, she had they got evicted from their home and and couldn't find accommodation with the dog, um, which is a really big 
problem in the ACT and that's mm-hmm. why we see so many dogs in pounds is accommodation. So they lived with her and she was nearly 40 kilo Briard cross. Um, they lived with her, two adults and a, and a 40 kilo dog in the back of a station wagon for over a year before they decided they just couldn't do it to her anymore. Yeah. Well, that's a bit of a different situation really, isn't it, I think? Yeah, but there are a lot of those in rescue. You know, people die and people can't take on the dog. There's people and sometimes... There are genuine reasons. You know, as much as I think, you know, I hate to see people hand over dogs, sometimes I think it's it's better for the dog. Yeah, You know, I'd rather them than say, hey, you know what, this isn't working. Let's give the dog to somebody who can find it a better home than, than it being stuck in the backyard. Like I'd hate people to go... Oh, because everybody's going to, you know, make me feel like shit that I'll just keep this dog and leave it in the backyard for the rest of its life and give it nothing. I mean, in an ideal world, you know, they'd do the right thing and train the dog and make it part of the family, but... You know, not everybody's priorities are the same as our priorities yeah. with dogs. So, well, look, at, I, I, I'm absolutely with you in that because if somebody was a drunken hobo and they were knocking their children around, and mm. you know the children got shipped off to live with their uncle and aunt or their grandparents or something like that, it would be disruptive for the children. But in long term, it would be much better for them to go and have a stable home where they're loved and cared for mm. by somebody who actually does want to and can be in that situation. Yeah, because. I mean, look, I know people who the thought of of keeping that dog would be ideal, but they just can't. I mean, they haven't even mm. got the money to support themselves and, you know, they're living on, on noodles and bread yep. and, and trying to maintain a life for a dog where it's it's just not working out. It's a yeah. bad, yep. bad situation for everybody. And those things are genuine reasons. Like I've seen people in distress and those sort of things. It's sad that even in those sort of situations, they're made to feel guilty and made to feel yeah. horrible for for making a decision which is genuinely better off for everybody. Yeah, and those are genuine situations, like what you're describing. I, yeah. I I totally subscribe to that. When somebody identifies, I'm in a shit situation. I'm going to make this dog's life hell or this child's life hell. Like it is going to be complete and utter chaos for them. Yeah. Really, the 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 most loving thing that I could do in this situation is find you a better home. Yeah. And that's and the thing that Pat was talking about before is the fact is that they should at least be um, half responsible or meet you halfway in trying to find a home first. Like, yeah. you know, like saying, I've got this dog. I really would love someone to take it on. I'll help with whatever I can, but I can't care for it and I need it cared for properly. Yeah. So our rescue group, we run a separate Facebook page to the rescue group that uh, rehomes dogs for the public. So the public hold on to the dog and we just advertise it for them. Mm. Um, So that's always the first step for us in anybody that wants to surrender their dog. We say, hey, let's try this. Mm. And it has really good results. You know, there's usually a home out there for every dog, Mm. Um, you know, or being some that are never going to make it, but there's plenty of... Plenty of dogs on there that have found a home without having to come into rescue or go through pounds, which is how we're going to stop, you know, dogs dying. Because if they don't, not in the pound to start with, you know, they're not going to get euthanized. So yeah. I think it's that, those sort of areas that rescue really need to work hard on. How do we, one, educate the public in getting the right dog to start with and getting the dog that's going to fit into their home that they're not going to go in 12 months and go, oh God, this dog's an asshole and, you know, it wants a, wants a 10K run and I, I'm on the couch making sure that those dogs get into the right home to start with. Yeah. I think, you know, to I'm understanding it more as I think about it now and talking to you. I think that rescue as an intermediary is probably excellent, right? Like where you have a real case of someone that comes to you and says, for whatever reason, insert story here, I can't keep the dog anymore. And, and the dog never actually has to be in your custody or is it's never up in arms about 
is there going to be a place for this dog? It's that, yes, you either keep it till we find a place for you. You're just a vessel by which the dog gets rehomed. That's a dream world, right? Yeah. Where it's not that this dog's going to die if, if no one yeah. takes it out of the out of the, the kennel today. Yeah. And you don't have to stuff it in your bathroom and... Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. Have a- some person with a big heart is then stuck hoarding yeah. all these dogs and yeah. ruining their own life to do it. And if we could just be there to help those people who have genuine circumstances, like somebody dies or things like that, you know, that's what we'd love to see is just yeah. those so dogs there's always going to be that. You need a help. safety net for that. Yeah. There's always going to be some the, – the outlier scenario. Yeah. One thing I want to ask as well, uh, along with my hypothetical story, is good guy Pat Stewart has left your rescue now. It's six months later. He's walking down the street with his new dog called Bubbles and <laughs> a car screeches to a halt next to him and says, Fluffy, where have you been? It's been six months since you left, we ran away and we were on holiday and no one got in contact with us and, and suddenly here he is. Yeah. How's that custody uh, dispute yeah, play out? And does that happen? That's happened a lot of times. That's yeah. a shit pill to swallow. Oh, it's horrendous. Like, mm. and, and sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's fine and it's a dog that you go, yeah, you know, we're happy. Obviously the circumstances, we'll talk to them. What happened? Why wasn't the dog microchipped? Why you didn't mm-hmm. you go and pick it up? depends on the whole story and that sort of thing as to but you know the majority of the time the dog will go back to the owner depending on you know the circumstances I've had some where I ended up giving it back and then two weeks later he's like no I want it gone again Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it is, it can be awkward. And you could probably pick that, that that's going to happen by the personality type. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, part of the reason that I probably gave the dog back is that I was like, this guy knows where I live. Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. And I don't really want him coming around going, hey, that's Taking my dog. dog. So yeah. I was like, I'll just give it back and make sure that I can hopefully support him enough and be nice enough that when he decides again that he doesn't want the dog, that he'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. Which um, is what Which happened. he did, yeah, yeah. yeah. But is have you ever seen a like a custody dispute play out? There's certainly I don't know that it's ever gone that far, but there's certainly been some some that have been ended up pretty nasty mm-hmm. and taken up a lot of you know our poor volunteers' time and yep. and people have copped a lot of abuse and threats and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen one go to court. Right. But yeah, there's certainly been some pretty nasty nasty cases that have come out. Yeah, because I can imagine it would be a little bit like, say, if the dog was rehomed and it's a year later or whatever, it's almost like receiving stolen goods, right? Mm. Like, yeah, mm. yeah. You, you, you have genuine purpose. You rescued this dog. I love him now. He's in my home. And the other person genuinely lost the dog yeah. um, and circumstance, you know, whatever it meant that they couldn't get it back. Yeah. Uh, and then they happen across it in the street. Like, yeah. Fortunately, the mandatory microchipping, like most of them are microchipped, so mm-hmm. they can usually get in contact with the owner and if the pound can say, hey, look, you know, here's our log of how many times we tried to contact you to say that the dog's here, you know, they don't have a lot to stand on when they come back and go, right. hey, why didn't I get my dog? So if we've tried to contact them, once, you know, after seven days, a stray becomes the property of, of the pound. And right, that's so that's legal. That's what happens. Yeah. Right, so yep. you, you legally can't – there's nothing to fall back no. on. It's not your dog anymore. No. Right. No. There's just a case of the moral issue of yeah. – who, and who is probably going to be best for the dog at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Geez, that reminds me of that movie Lion. Have you seen that before? Uh, I'm not sure. It's a strange movie about this little Indian kid. He follows his brother to work one day and his brother – disappears and he ends up falling asleep on the train Mm. and um, he wakes up miles and miles away from home and by the time that's done he's like he's five or six years old and he gets sort of chased around and people are trying to you know like catch him and 
put him into all these strange environments, but what they finally do is get him into an orphanage and then um, he he finds himself shipped from India to Tasmania because he gets lost in the orphan system. Years later on in his life, like, he just knows something's not right in his life. Like, he knows he's obviously he's not – they're not his real parents, but he just has this longing to find his mum. Like, he feels disconnected and estranged from his whole life and he's just – like, he's unbalanced and everything is – is not right in his life and he finally finally after years of searching and going on the google maps he finds out where his village was and he goes back there and finds his real mum and Mm, connects with her so it's a really it's a it's a good movie i recommend everybody Mm. watch it at least once Hmm. Hmm. there you go on the rescue like on yeah it's like on the rescue with the dogs it was uh (laughs) rescue with humans (laughs) hey um on on top of this on on top of this discussion what do you see that needs to be corrected in this industry? Like, where do you think we could be doing it better as a, as a society? How oh. do you think – like, oh, you're quite immersed in it. Yeah. More well, so than I'm a taking lot of a people. break at the moment. Um, well, you'd say so you should. Going back to the burnout, that's why I'm, yeah, you I, should. I was on the committee and all that sort of thing and yeah. doing a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, back when I was in the public service and could, you know, do a little bit of work while I was at work, it was okay. But now, you know, in, in my new job, I'm way too busy. My dogs are getting older, so I'm sort of taking a, a bit of a back step because I did take on – I took on too much. I took on dogs that – had a lot of behaviour issues. I think when once you become a trainer, um, all of a sudden, you know, you'd go, yeah, well, I could probably fix that. Mm. Um, and so you end up taking all these dogs in and taking, you know, more and more troubled dogs and, it, you know, it all got a bit too much. Like I was just constantly training everybody else's dog and, and my own poor dogs have suffered as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's um, – I'm sort of getting out of that. But I think definitely, you know, for rescue groups, I think they need to start looking at running more like businesses. I think at the moment they – you know, some of them run on the smell of an oily rag. They're constantly pleading for money and they take in dogs that they can't afford. Um, they take in dogs that they don't have places for. Whereas I think, you know, if they ran it a little bit more like a business and, you know, there's always going to be a big volunteer factor. You can never, this thing is never going to have enough money to pay everybody. But if they can pay for some stuff just to take a bit of the load off off the foster carers and things like that, I think it would just run a lot better and making sure that they've got policies and procedures in place that, you know, make sure that people aren't taking on too much and and um, and are really running it like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the best things that, that rescue could do for itself to to really help stop things like burnout and, and um, you know, the financial factor is huge. Just flipping the scales on this a little bit, I've seen other situations where people have, and it started off in a place of love, so I'm not battering these people for the way it turned out. But what then happens is they they take on a dog, another dog, another dog, another dog, and before they know it, they, they've collected like an amassed an amount of dogs mm. and they've become like the crazy cat lady who's got like a house full of cats and these cats are all like living in squalid conditions and mm. it's the same thing that I've seen in dogs where there's like 20 dogs in a backyard that really is only suitable for three or four dogs at best, yeah. at best. And there's 20 dogs running and roaming around the place, shitting on top of each other. Yeah. You know, they're in terrible condition because they they 
their coats are stuffed, they're not eating the right amount of food, but the person is convinced that they're doing it for the right reasons. Like yep. they're taking on more and more and more. And they, I think the re- very real danger is, is you've taken them out of a compromising position and put them in put a them brand in new one. one, if not possibly and potentially worse than the one yeah. that they were removed from. Absolutely. So I think that that situation itself is something that needs to be highly identified um, in that these people have begun with, with good intentions, but mm. they've, they've migrated into something that is a little bit precarious. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, we see it. And I think it's exactly the same as, you know, can you provide the – it's got to be the same for foster carers as the new homes. Can you provide the training? Can you provide the enrichment, all that sort of stuff? You know, if it's only a week where you go, oh, hey, I'm going to be really busy this week and but after that I can provide this dog what it needs. But if we're just jamming dogs into foster care and, and it's the wrong home for them, like the dog I've got at the moment I'm struggling with majorly because she's – high drive dog she needs you know the exercise that I can't provide at the moment and because she wasn't one that I chose she was a I rehomed her as a 10 week old puppy she's come back as an 18 month old kelpie mix and who needs 20 kilometers a day and you know none Mm. of us can do that Mm. and so it's just as important to get those right dogs into the foster care because otherwise they end up with you know in the same shitty situation as they were before so it's really important to do all that sort of stuff and make sure that your foster carers are providing for the dog and training the dog. Mm. Um, we do a lot of training with our foster carers. So we, we've had um, – so Tamara from Underdog used to come up to Canberra a lot. She comes up most years and runs a workshop for us. We've had Kat Saunders. We've had Trish Harris. Gary Jackson was a lot of fun. So we bring a lot of trainers to Canberra every year to run different workshops. Um, we've done anything from, you know, behaviour stuff to nose work, um, Tellington Touch. So trying to educate our carers so that they have, you know, a little bit more knowledge and making sure that they are providing for the dogs in their care, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. I don't think enough rescues do, you know, train their foster carers. Yeah, and, and <coughs> that's important. Yeah. That's really important. From my point of view, I think that, that's hitting the nail on the head. That's that's really where us dog industry people and mostly the people listening to this can assist in rescue is not getting bogged down in it too heavily yourself, but assisting those people with training advice and that. Me and me and Jay have fantasized about like a some sort of organization that uh, donates meals to rescues and, and educates yeah. people how to oh. use them. You know, you look at... Oh, it, maybe our mate, old mate Jason Furman can get involved with that. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be like, could you imagine, say, RSPCA, who happened to have a few hundred million dollars lying around, yeah. could facilitate putting a mill and the education on how to use that in every rescue. And then imagine your behavioural assessments, it would be probably have oh. completely different outcomes yeah. if those dogs in the kennels had an outlet. Yeah. So, like, you know, here's an example from my life. I was at pet resorts one time talking to the girls about how I, I can't stand dirty dogs, right? The dogs that poo in, in their yeah. own kennel, that disgusts me. And I was, I was like, oh, I, I just couldn't keep a dog like that. I was, I was talking about if I couldn't train it out of the dog, it, like I've, of course I keep the dog, but I was talking about, you know, oh, it's disgusting. I would never have a dog that did that. And all the girls at pet resorts were looking at me incredulously, right? <laughs> Remco and his and, poo parties. And I was like, why do you look at me like that? And they said, your dog is the most fucking disgusting dog that we keep here. Really? In the kennel, he shits all over the place and has a poo He's party like all over the place. He's like pro hard. He, he, wow. he, he has to wash him. Finger painter. And, yeah, and yeah. we have to wash him every day, right? And I was like, what? And I had no idea. Yeah. Now, now, that's just one anecdote, right? But that yeah. tells you that – and I, my dog, he, he sleeps in a box at home. He 
he has a kennel that he's in from time to time and he has never in his life pistol shit in the yeah. kennel or the box. And so that tells me just that one thing that he's a different dog when he's in the kennel versus when he's at my home. Yeah. And so a behavioral assessment would show that that dog pisses and shits in the kennel. Now that's not mm. a euthanasia tip, but like no. he would, he's a different dog. And I, I'm convinced that so many dogs that are in a pound and have a behavioral assessment, that is a snapshot in time at probably the worst time in that dog's fucking life. He's never been in a worse situation in his life and that is when we're going to decide – are you suitable for what do you like as a person? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So imagine being locked in isolation tank. Exactly. For, you've never been isolated, you've never been to kennel before in your life. Yeah. You get put in one for a week, and now I'm going to des- make a decision on your personality. Yeah. But imagine that you were in the kennel, it, because this is, there's certain things we can't. We can't change. You have to store these dogs somewhere during this time. But every day you got introduced to a meal correctly and your chances are if you're in a kennel, you're some sort of bully breed cross, right? Yeah. Uh, but every day for 10 minutes, you get to sprint your guts out on the mill. Yeah. Just that alone, even if there was no control work, even if there was mm. nothing else available to you, but you just got to just blast off the energy that you're building up in that kennel. I personally believe, and I have no evidence for this other than yeah. anecdotal, but I totally believe that every dog would be assessed differently. Definitely. And, and yeah, but cool. look at look at little rats when they get the little spinning wheel, the wheel. they get to run yeah. on there and just sprint their guts out. Yeah. I mean, it gives them something other than do than just walk around the confines. Go of that. crazy. Yeah, and yeah. go crazy. crazy. That's right. They get an outlet. Yeah. 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 And, and so it's just that important. one thing, just like a couple of thousand bucks, because mm-hmm. a meal, you know, you get like a good meal and, and they could make one specifically, a rescue one that is industrial to the industrial. It doesn't need the bells and whistles. It just could yep. be solid steel and they all, like it's locked to the ground and, and every dog gets his 10 minutes on it per yeah. day. You said you were getting a meal, didn't you, Dallas? We're getting a meal, yep. The business I work for, Pups for Fun, we um, are getting a meal tomorrow. So we do a lot of stuff with rescue. I think about eight of our 25 staff are foster carers. So we've always, you know, the owner is really supportive of rescue groups and brings in, you know, we're always bringing in dogs. Sometimes half the room is our, our foster dog. <laughs> <laughs> Just another That's cool. one. That's cool. They're supportive. Like yeah, that. yeah. Well, she's a foster carer as well. So, um, you know, we, we try to do what we can obviously we've still got to run a business and and fit client dogs in but we try to do what we can to help the rescue dogs if it's you know a walk Mm. or a daycare or Mm -hmm. um, especially the puppies we really work a lot with the puppies and making sure if we can build them to be strong and resilient and confident then we're not going to see them in a pound later Mm -hmm. so that's where we tend to focus a lot of our lot of our activity but yeah on the slap meal I tested a dog just the other day at Canberra and I was like if this dog just had 20 minutes of running he would have tested so differently because yeah. he was quite just reactive and you could just see it all with his pent-up energy. Yeah. Yeah, when um, Randy's been a rat bugger. bag, I put him on the mill. Like if he's just in that fuckery state of mind, I get him out and put him on the mill and just let him run his guts out and he's a different dog after he's off it. Yeah. Like you can just see like it's almost like relief. You can you can see all the stress and all the – it's not stress. It's just energy. Like it's, it's pent-up energy. It's like he's like a steam cooker ready to explode and the mill gives him that out to let him do that because he's not – it's, it's a day that he wants to do bite work, but it's not available for him. Yeah. You know, and I do a bit with him, but it, it's he wants more than that. And mm. I can just tell he needs more than that. So I put him on the mill. We do some running, let him bite the, the target at the end of it. And he, it's like complete relief. Like he gets off it. And if he could talk to me, if I could actually interview him and speak with him, he'd say to me, dude, that was that was it. You just tap the nail right on the head with that. That was perfect. Yeah. And you can see he, the way he walks back to the house his tail's up, he's content, you know, he gets in the yard and, and in, then he doesn't run around barking. He's 
he's at peace with himself. So it really has given him yep. a change of life. Are you familiar with Amy Sadler, Dogs Playing yeah, for Life? Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was really impressed with her when I went to the ISCP last year and I, I mean, look, I only got a like a snapshot of who Amy is, but I think that what her and her team are doing over there is just incredible. Yeah, um, definitely. And I mean, I know JJAC's been heavily involved in providing enrichment for them and there's probably a lot of other people who have as well and that's what Pat was referring to as before is that there are many of us that are capable of doing that type of thing and mm. offering help and assistance and and doing it gratis as well like yep. helping out and making it available to the people who are on the front line who aren't getting paid themselves yeah I think that's an incredibly kind gesture for people who are doing so much because it really is in many cases it's a very thankless career I guess yeah, or, or, yeah. or, I mean, house, or inheritance. My house will tell you that. I've had <laughs> dogs go through windows like numerous broken windows. I've got one wall that I still haven't fixed that's down to the stud work. And it's and you're going to um, pay for that right? Yeah yeah mm. I've got big holes in the walls. One dog chewed up the floor. Yeah countless things laptops, shoes, computers you know it's just. That's right and that that's on the person who does the foster work to, to cover yeah, all those costs. Yeah. Like that's part of the damage that you say, oh, well, I was in the situation. And and a lot of people don't recognise that. They don't understand the the personal turmoil that these people do go through because, you know, like their partners will come home and say, well, that's another fucking thing the dog's wrecked and, mm. you know, and remind them on a daily basis, like you're doing yep. this, you took that on, it's, you know, it's your responsibility and now it's costing us money. So there's, there's that's yeah. where a lot of that mounting stress comes to. So, Definitely. I, you know, in a lot of cases I've got absolute respect for for people in this in the rescue industry they're big-hearted fools in a lot of ways you know they really are but <laughs> I would no totally offense. agree no, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's not meant in an offensive way I'm not I mean yeah. you know somebody has to do it yeah somebody has to do it you know like it's like people like Mother Teresa when she looked after so many orphan people and so forth like that somebody had to do it somebody's yeah. got to step up because a lot of people won't yeah you know and to be honest I put myself in that basket I did a little bit of it but but I don't do a lot of it mm. because, you know, I'd have to admit there's a degree of selfishness there because I oh, just know. You have to be, but, though. you know, look, I live at a boarding kennel where I've got to go down and deal with other people's dogs. I get paid for this, don't yeah. get me wrong, but yeah. I've still got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning when there's dogs that, that are barking or distressed because they've shat in their bed and I've got to go and clean the shit off for them and then yeah. go back down. So I do know what it's like to be have an inconvenience in those type of things. But, I mean, my own home is not being, you know, chewed out from the inside out by a dog that I've just brought in yeah. because it's going to be on death row tomorrow. But and the disease too, I've had parvovirus through my house. That's right, um, yeah. So I've lost a puppy to parvo. And, um, and you know, I'm working in a daycare, so the quarantine that I had to put myself through mm. to ensure that I wasn't bringing anything anywhere near, like, the community at large at all, but especially my business. Do you have to lime your backyard out uh, and everything like that? Well, fortunately, we do a quarantine anyway, so the puppies had only been in a really small area of my house, like, they'd been quarantined in there. Yep. So it wasn't as difficult as if I had got them and let them run throughout the whole house. And yard, but yeah, it's still you know dealing with two puppies who both had parvo and and what happens after that. It's just it was horrendous. And it's the clean. mental anguish too, right? It's yeah, not just, it's not just the physical thing that you're going through, like the work you're doing. Like it's the actual mental stress that you're enduring at that time. Yeah, because you're dealing with a dying puppy and another one that's possibly going to go. Mm. I think the long term stress on that is the anxiety around. It's not like it's not like you can just see whether you cleaned up all the parvo no. or not. No. So you're like, do the best that you can, yeah. 
yeah. and you just hope that when the next dog, the next puppy comes in, mm. yep. it's too young to be vaccinated, I nothing just, happens. Like I F10'd my house to the point that it's che- like it's eaten through my floorboards. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, and I yeah. had foot baths at, at the front door and then again at the car, like all my clothes would get changed before I went into the parvo room. Like, yeah. Disaster. Oh, it was and awful. just a constant stress and anxiety for, yeah. for months afterwards of yeah. wondering where, when's it going to come back. Yeah. Mm. And it's the same with behavioural stuff. You know, you, sometimes you have to euthanise a dog um, for a behavioural reason that they're not safe to get out in the community. And and I think it's, it's even worse now as a trainer where you just, you know a lot more about what's happening and sometimes it's so hard to have to make that decision, mm-hmm. which I've done a few times. And it's just, you go, God, I could potentially, you know, fix that problem to the point that we're not going to see it right now, but can I actually put that in a, into a home with a normal person? Yeah, and that potential time bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's it's such a big decision to make. Well, um, I think – but that that's why I think there's so much uh, – it's so important to have people with your skill level involved in the, in the, the rescue, the yeah. foster yeah. society where – because, you know, you see this uh, – in, in certain rescues, you see in, in situations where they're just about saving the dogs at any cost yeah. and they put dangerous dogs out into the community that are yeah. just a time bomb waiting to... All care, to no off. responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, the reason I got involved in training, um, so, you know, when I started out as a foster care and a dog owner, I didn't know anything about dogs. I was horrendous. Um, and a foster dog attacked my dog, Dusty, and I will just regret that for the rest of my life. Like, mm-hmm. I feel so much guilt that I did not see those signs that something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a trainer come to my house, and she's wonderful. She's German and very to the point, and, and she was like, well, this is your fault. You know, you you caused this, and <laughs> why didn't you see this? And I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? And so, yeah, then I was like, well, shit, if I'm going to be a foster care, I need to go away and learn about this because I can't have this happen again to mm-hmm. my dog. Yeah. Fortunately, he was fine, you know, yeah. the surgery, cost of surgery again for me. <laughs> so that was another good thing. Wow. But, yeah, like it, it certainly made me wake up and go, God, I need to I need to learn about dogs if I'm going to do mm. this. So something you just touched on then, having had to euthanise dogs that you've made that call on, I'm pretty sure we've said on the podcast, I've been, I, I've never hidden this fact, you know, not all dogs are for this earth, Yeah. right? And before people start getting too angry about that, I say not all people are for this earth, right? <laughs> 100%. Uh, and, and so... How does that play into the model? Like, you know, because the, the truth is some dogs are have been either are genetically psychopaths, that's totally a possible thing that can happen and yep. that's the kind of dog that's likely to end up in a rescue, uh, or have been turned into something that resembles a psychopath and is probably past the point of, of, of help. Yeah. And then there's the other, the the economies of scale, right? So there's really three reasons why yeah. you might want to, might have to face euthanizing your dog. First, that it's a psycho, can't be helped. It's been built into one or that it just is, it could be in with infinite time and resources. Yep. Now, how does that play into the model and the burnout and, and, and all that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a big one. I think it, first of all, because we do that initial test on the dogs, a lot of the dogs don't make it into our foster program. So mm-hmm. people don't choose the dogs that are going to be the psychopaths mm-hmm. or they get failed out before they get in. A lot of them don't make it. But when they do, we have, I think the fact that we've given so much training to our foster carers um, in our group anyway has caused a lot of us to go out. So I think we have maybe nearly six NDTF trained foster carers. Cool. Maybe even more. 
And so we, you know, a lot of time we'll go over and have a look at the dog and go, okay, well, here's what's going on or, you know, we can fix this easily or no, we can't. Our group will always pay for a trainer to come and have a look at the dog and make an assessment and they'll work together with the foster carer as to whether that dog is, you know, appropriate for this this world or not. Mm -hmm. So we'll usually put them through a training process first, obviously, sometimes in the cases of where there has been a fight. So when the foster dog attacked my dog and we had the trainer come and, and have a look at it and she said, well, yeah, he's, you know, here's the issues that are happening and here's, here's why it happened and, and we sort of came to the conclusion that that dog wasn't safe to be out in the community and that's, you know, not only based on behaviour but also the dog was a fence jumper. So the fact that, you know, if we couldn't keep the dog mm-hmm. in, um, yeah. that was going to make any sort of behavioural issues harder to treat. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a we'll have a trainer come and, and help the foster care and assess whether that dog is fixable, I suppose you'd say. And then we also have a committee who then sign off on right. if so there is a euthanasia. Then that's where, I, that's where that. I wanted to find out. So yep. it's, it's not like no one person gets to make that call no. in the rescue. It's a committee decision. Yeah. And how many people are on that committee? Well, the main rescue committee that we have, I'd say there's about six or seven people. Right. Okay. Um, and then there's an approvals committee who will, well, the main committee will always decide on euthanasia so it's usually all seven will need to right and there and that's that. a community of volunteers that have yep. just been through the rescue and have been appointed to that committee yeah but probably fairly experienced people that are doing that yeah yeah no, not always a lot of dog experience but you know they all come from all walks of life a lot of policy experience things like that so um you know so the judgment just, is respected yeah yeah very much so no that's good yeah and, and without airing any dirty laundry of your own rescue, have you ever had like a fracture in that committee where, you know, over the the euthanasia of a dog where some people are pro and some are against? If you can talk about that. Probably not. Usually most people will respect the fact that usually a trainer and and the foster carer come together and go, yep. And usually because we have a, you know, a community of trainers without in our group. So, you know, Elisa and Eleni and a few of us all get together and we'll go, oh God, I've seen that dog as well. And, you know, Mm. I don't know that it's, that it's a great idea. So we're lucky in that respect that we have so many people to draw on. And you're talking about some switched on people there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the time we'll move the dog from the particular foster care into one of our homes. So both Ellen and Lisa do board and train now. So sometimes they'll take on the dog for a board and train just to go, okay, well, let's see what it's like in a different home and Mm. different home environment, put some training into it and see how we go after that. Um, So we'll always do as much as we can, obviously, to avoid euthanasia. But, you know, there are times where you go, you know, this is just not, it's not safe. We've got to to make that decision now. And usually the, the foster care and the trainer come to that um, decision together mm-hmm. and never easy no um, no yeah I, I went to a it was many years ago I went to a big rescue it wasn't a seminar but it was a event at Sydney Uni many many rescues there and they had I, I've never been in rescue I've never worked in rescue but I just went really to try and understand it a little bit better and they had kind of a a vigil, I guess, for all the dogs and cats that they couldn't help. And it was actually really emotional. There was a lot of Mm. people, really upset people in the room that, you know, like not being a part of it, I was like, when I got there, I was like, oh, I'm at the crazy cat lady convention, right? (laughs) Like that's what I thought I was at. Yeah. But then sitting in that and I was like, oh, it gave me a sort of a new respect for 
how hard people are trying and, and it made me under I think that's really why I went was to try and understand how people how people were allowing themselves to put out dogs that really should have been euthanized. Mm. And then when I got a feeling for the the volume and the scale of dogs that they were, you know, I spoke to one woman that told me she had personally killed like hundreds of dogs. And I think she worked at a, like a very Big large shelter. bound. Yeah. And I was like, you know, like exactly that it was so confronting. I could, I, it gave me an appreciation for when I see a dog that I think, fuck, this dog shouldn't be out. I could say, mm-hmm. well, I can understand how you'd get to the point of putting it out. You know what yep. I mean? Like, because you're just like, fuck, not another one. Yep. And if it's a borderline case, then we'll, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Whereas on your first day, you're like, no, borderline case, see you later. Yeah. Sometimes it comes down to just the resources at the time too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we might have a dog that potentially if we had somebody who could take that dog in and do really intensive work with it for a month or two, it could make really huge strides and sometimes we just don't have those people or yeah. those resources. Yeah. And that's, or you've I think got that person the, and they've got a dog already. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very much a location thing, isn't it? Location yeah. and time. Yeah, mm. yeah. But, yeah, we t- we've touched on it quite a few times and I think it's – it's a very important message that getting back to it is referring to what you talked about. There's a lot of times I've looked and I would have probably as a younger guy, if I'd gone into those sort of things, you'd probably mock those people and say, oh God, look at them, you know, they're pathetic, but they're really not. They're mm-hmm. people who've had the soul kicked out of their body. They're people who have who've really been in the trenches and on the front lines in, in working with this stuff and they've been stood on and tread on and they've been given up on and they haven't had support and they haven't had people looking after them and they themselves are in a very precarious situation. Mm. We've done a podcast on this before where we've talked about people needing to take care of themselves and this is certainly something that people within our industry need to be more highlighted and, and aware of is that people within the foster caring situation, within the rescue communities, they really need some checking on from time to time. They really yeah. need someone to say, are you okay? Yeah. You know, like we're encouraged to say that for people who we see dropping in behaviour a little bit, we're encouraged to say to them, are you okay? And I think that that should be a message that should go from our community into the foster and welfare because not enough of that is done. Mm. And as I said, you know, like... I'm not going to make out that she was a great friend of mine and it was a thing, but having that lady take her life in Melbourne when I was back mm. there in that time, that was a long time ago, you know, and the fact that she highlighted it was because of the the distress she saw in the never-ending cycle of dogs coming in and being destroyed and she just felt so helpless and stuff like that. That has always resonated with me. Like it's always been like a little bell in the distance that I just hear in my in conversation sometimes. I'll just think, oh, that's that's – resonating a little bit like yeah. that note that that was read out way back when and I think yeah we just need to be a little bit mindful and careful about it yeah. I think as well like all of us in, if you're listening to this podcast you're at the minimum a dog enthusiast right? yeah like yeah at that's the minimum, right everybody everybody no one's just cruising we're not flicking channels it's a podcast everybody that's listening is involved in dogs in one way or another and I think that something that I came to terms with a while ago because I, I've been uh, like I said, I've had some issues with rescue groups in the past. Uh, I, without going into too much details, I had a rescue group say that they had a dog that I'd bred, um, and I, I have never bred a dog hmm. in my life. Uh, and yeah, and when I and then when I contacted them, they refused to, to like refused to get back to me. And hey, it's oh. not the concept; it's just that some people are just batshit crazy. Well, but then <laughs> That's the, a, it's a, it's a personal yeah. thing. Like I've seen some rescue groups that um, the concept is fantastic. It's just that the person at the helm is batshit crazy. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem. Well, but so I think as dog enthusiasts, dog trainers, all of us and people in the industry, you have to go, you have to be involved in the thing that 
that step, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. So I know there's people that lay in bed at night thinking about all the dogs that need rescuing and therefore that's what they have to address. Yeah. Where do but, flies go at night to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what I lay in bed at night and what, what keeps me awake is thinking about all these people that have incredible dogs that are just turning food into shit. Like, so that's where I've... No, yeah. you're lying. You said it was where, where flies where go flies at night. Go at night. <laughs> but, that, but that's where I've put my efforts in the industry is like, and that's what I think about is people who have performance athletes that they're, they're not allowing to perform. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you have to, all of us, it, but we're all important in the industry. Absolutely. You can't say like, without people like me that are interested in getting the, the performance from dogs, then dogs suffer just as much. There's mm. a different suffer, but it's, 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 it's still suffering that they're yep. being left to, they're being bred for a purpose and given none. And that's what I'm obsessed with. I love, uh, without going into a lot of detail, I'm working on this resource at the moment. I'll tell you guys about it off air, but it's about trying to convince the general populace to get their dogs into something like yep. an activity that is for their dog. Yep. I think this podcast has been successful in reaching out to a lot of people and that sort yeah, of thing. For they're sure. doing, yeah, that's so They're important. doing better with their dogs, like, you know, the box and the mill and, and just yeah. a lot of things that we've been talking about. There's more and more people that are realising, hey, that's that reminds me, when we were off air before when we were setting up, you were talking about people that are born in the wrong time, mm. you know, and I think that's that's subject to a lot of dogs. They're born into the wrong family or they're, yep. they're allocated to the wrong family. They're not living their true potential. Yeah. Like some people in life, they should have been a Viking or a Spartan or something like that. Yeah, we're talking – yeah. a lot of the guys I know who I was in the army with were would have had – far more fulfilling lives had they been Roman gladiators. Yeah. That would have been... Died gloriously in battle (laughs) or something like that. just got to spend all day training to kill people and then spending time killing people and they would have been a lot happier people. Yeah. And I think... But you're dead right. It's the same with dogs. We've spoken about this at the time. Like Mm. if someone had... If an average person had Remy, he would be euthanized in a kennel or he'd be on Prozac bombed yeah. out he'd be he'd be asleep on he'd be medicated half out of his life asleep on someone's couch randy would be the same mm. but for me he's the dog that i've waited nine years to get and i sought out and went through many dogs before i found yeah. him so it's horses for courses and that's where i'm really involved that's where my passion in dogs lies that's what keeps me awake at night is people who have performance athletes they're not allowing to perform but i, I certainly don't i feel for people who you know, think about the dogs that are just don't have a family, right? Mm. Uh, um, and that is where they go yeah, to. Yeah, that but, is that is. But we haunting. all need each other. We mm. all need each other. Like yeah, it, absolutely. It's, it's, it's got a, a network. Yeah, it's hey, got to work everywhere. Sorry, I just got to quickly hijack for this story for a second. Talking about Randy, like I've never seen that dog really relaxed in his life. Like he doesn't even breathe or sleep relaxed. He he breathes in his sleep. He breathes like he's just run. Yeah. You know, like he's run a race, and it's sort of like. <laughs> The whole time. Ever since he's been a little puppy, he's always done the same. I had to take him to the vet the other day and I had to tranquilize him because he injured his tail and he had, they had to look at it and he wouldn't let him look at it because it was quite painful. And when they tranquilized him, I'd never seen that dog. So I actually thought he, they'd given him too much and he died. Oh. I had to, I actually, I had to, I've never, ever seen Randy so at peace before in my life. Like I was actually starting to go through shit. They've just killed Panic. my dog. But he was so peaceful and he was in such a slumber state that it, it's just something completely foreign to me. I, I just thought, what's happened? Because I said to the vet, is he okay? And she said, yeah, that's how he should be. He should be like this. And, and I said, that's not normal for him. And she said, that's how a normal dog should be when they're, they're out of it. <laughs> and, um, 
yeah, I just said for Randy, that's not that's not right. And she goes, yeah. mm, okay. Well, she said you've just got one of those type of dogs. Yeah. yeah. And we see those dogs in the pounds. And, yeah. And that's where we're so lucky to have places like Army who will take, you know, detection dogs where we go, you know, mm. see dog is that, kill that, somebody in a normal home. Like that it's that is not, important that yeah. your rescue is facilitating that type of thing because there are other rescues or yeah. other organisations that are not. And I mean, they have the Won't hide. Won't dogs to go into servitude. Yes, no. they have the hide, and I think it's it's very irresponsible. And I think the the people who are, are sitting at the heads of those organisations really need to re-examine their whole policies and procedures to say no to a dog that is potentially going to sit in a, a, like a little four by two yeah. cage where that dog could be running out. And that, that is a dog like the people we were talking about before that is far better being a Spartan or a Roman centurion than sitting locked up going crazy in a kennel deciding its fate over the next two years or three years or four years or even euthanizing it when it could be out serving the country or helping people or, or well, living a fulfilled life. We've yeah. talked about him on the show that the... The, the best detection dog I've ever seen in real life was Tiprat, R.I.P. And mm-hmm. he was he had just a name. This, yeah, Bailey. He, we, yes. they met. The, yeah, the, the handler was the handler was very handler, specific. That handler messaged us after we oh, talked really? about it. It was like his name was Bailey. His name was Robert Coleman. His name was Robert. But the best detection dog I've ever laid eyes on, and yeah. he was a he was just a pound dog. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the selection process for him was they got they said first of all dog can't be dog aggressive or interested in other dogs so get us all those dogs put them in one area and they just threw a tennis ball amongst all the dogs and Tiprat emerged with the ball and they were like we'll take him yeah. and it turned out to be the best dog that the army's ever had yeah um, yeah it's amazing what you what you'll find in the pound really some of the dogs are just amazing mm. well they um, have potential I in mean their right and, home. and that potential should be exercised yeah. if it's if it's it, I mean if the dog has been discarded. And people are looking for um, an application for that dog, then it should be given to the dog. Yeah. Yeah. The, the role should be awarded. And that's the issue, like, I'm really wound up about it, especially after what we were talking about this morning, Glenn, like, with that that in the kennel assessment and how we don't set dogs up for success. And there's so many things that the pounds and things can do to adjust that. Like my own dog this morning, like I was saying, he's staying at Glenn's place because we're down here in Canberra. I put him in the kennel. He turned around and looks at me with like a weird wag in his tail. And as soon as I go to shut the door, he flies at me and tries to bite me, right? (laughs) Um, Like it's play. Imagine that was his first assessment. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's play. Like if that's someone who doesn't know the dog and he's going to do the same thing to them, it's just a game that he likes to play. It's the, as you decide to shut the door, I'm going to jump on you so he can't shut the door, um, he, that would be that'd be the end of him because yeah. he's a, a, a big, powerful dog that is not afraid to bite, not afraid to use his mouth. Now, he's he's it's play while he's doing it and it's not like he bit me for real. He's my own dog. Yeah. But that would be the end of him. That would, yeah. be, that would be it. And that's because it's just he likes to fuck around in yeah. the kennel. It drives him crazy in there. We're lucky um, here in Canberra we've got a – they've employed like a – I don't know what her official title is, but it, she does enrichment and organises all that sort of stuff for the oh, dogs in their kennels. So awesome. um, Bev, I think she's recently done NDTF up with you, actually, Glenn, and she, or maybe it was Melbourne. Um, so she looks after enrichment and and then you know finding suitable. So if she gets a dog in that, do you know her name? Uh, Bev Margosis. I think she might have gone to Melbourne. She must now have gone to Melbourne. Think, yeah. yeah. So she provides all the enrichment. They run a volunteer walking program, which 
is not a slap meal, but you know, it's something it gets them out of their pants. It's just as good, if but it's just more time consuming, right? Yeah, labor intensive. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a whole lot of volunteers who, mm. you know. God bless them. They try really hard, but sometimes scare the absolute shit out of me when you see them walking these yeah, dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they you know they try to do as much as they can, and and in the pound is obviously different to a shelter as well. So the the pound are working with dogs that are only there for seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to see the RSPCA do more Wouldn't of we all? that slap meal type stuff. But yeah, with your yeah. several hundred million dollars you have lying around RSPCA, yeah. maybe that would be a worthwhile investment. Do they have if, several if hundred million dollars? Yeah. Well, if that is the case, I don't then, think the ACT do, but you know. Yeah, well, if that is the case, then I really, yeah, you're right. Then you know that 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 shouldn't. Look, be I'm right. not involved in their books, and I don't know what happens day to day, but I know that they run at a surplus, yeah. and and they could afford to buy some meals for people, and and at their as a worldwide organisation, the SPCAs could probably set up a fucking plant that yeah. manufactures mills and at the at the rate that they would have the capacity to manufacture them, they could rehome every dog with one. Mm. Like well, their marketing power is yeah. is enough that enough people would go, hey, this is what we need. Yeah. This is how much it's going to cost. Let's do it. But look, I'm getting angry about maybe no one's approached it for them. Maybe if someone actually put it to them, they'd go, hey, great idea, and they'd do it. Yeah. But we don't know. know. We don't know. We'll try. All right. Hey. Tell us about this place so people can know where to get in contact with you and if they're in Canberra, they can um, know where to bring their their puppies to get a haircut. Yeah, so um, Pups for Fun, we've got grooming salons in Fisher and Queanbeyan. Um, We run daycare. Um, We're not doing any training at the moment. We all got too busy despite having several NDTF trainers. We're all too busy doing other things. Um, So we're, we're farming out all our training at the moment, but we do a lot of training as part of all the services we do. So our mm-hmm. puppy daycare is actually only like 10 to 15 dogs and we do training and heaps of cool stuff throughout the day, socialisation and confidence building. Um, and all of our daycares, we take in a lot of dogs who are reactive, things like that, who are learning to learning to socialise. So we're, our basic premise is, you know, socialisation and creating confident, you know, resilient social dogs. So Perfect. Yeah. And if they want to donate to your rescue group, yeah, how rescue do they do group, that? Um, ACT Rescue and Foster or fosterdogs.org on the website. Um, have a look on there. You can have a look at how our website works. Yeah. People can just probably donate directly to yeah, that. Yeah, you can donate directly on there. Perfect. But and, yeah, and what does that go towards, yeah. Dallas? Like if, if people donate, what where do the expenditures go to? Mainly vet work. Vet work's probably the biggest. Yeah. So I can't remember how much it was this year, but it's, you know, a Tens lot of, thousands. of money. Yeah, I think mm. it was around the 50000 mark. Yeah. Wow. So vet work's the main one. And then things like your trainers. So we pay everybody that comes. We're not, you know, we don't expect trainers to give everything for free. Mm-hmm. Like they're running a business just like... Um, other people yeah so yeah we pay all the trainers that come so a lot of training all that sort of stuff boarding if we need it and but yeah vet work is the main one and no one profits from that do they like none of the board or the executive or anyone get any any money out of it it's all all for love no if anything Mm. else you're you're short on money yeah yeah perfect short on money have your homes and cars destroyed (laughs) so for our listeners are turned upside down (laughs) yeah but for our listeners around the world it sometimes i know a lot of people do want to donate to a a dog friendly cause and Mm. it can be hard especially with some of those bigger organizations to to trust yeah Yeah. to know whether you're buying someone a new ferrari or or whether you're actually helping dogs. Yeah. And, like, we can vouch for you, you can vouch for your rescue, that yeah. uh, if anybody really wants to do good for dogs and have a little bit of extra money that they would like to to give to you guys on an ongoing or a one-off payment or whatever, yep. then we can vouch for you. We're not encouraging it. We're not saying anybody should or, or, or must, but yeah. if you have extra money and you want to know for sure that it's going to 
the betterment of dogs somewhere in the world, then you guys are, are accrued to, yeah. to give that to I mean, you. there's heaps of great rescue groups in Australia. We're really, really lucky. There's no, fuck them. We're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> hey, hey, before we do wrap up, what I do want to say is people probably listen to this podcast and say, hey, Glenn Cook made it sound really inglorious to be involved in rescue. And that's not always the case. No. There is There is very rewarding aspects to being involved in rescue as well there's a great network of people and there's a very good camaraderie and good collaboration of of excellent people involved in this industry yeah um and i'm fortunate enough to know a lot of people who do it like yourself and um several other people who do run a, a very tight ship and they do a great service for the the industry and they wouldn't want it any other way some of these people yeah. just are so tireless in giving time and love and community energy to enhancing the life of dogs that other people have discarded. I know all of us in the room, it goes without saying, we really appreciate you. You're, you're resolving somebody else's discarded and unwanted dog and giving it a loving life and giving it a very, very healthy second chance. So yep. really, I mean, if, if it hasn't yeah, been said we've, here before... We've probably made it sound horrible, but no, it's, there's well, so much good. You know, when you see your dogs in homes and doing really yeah. well, like that's all you need to make it all worth it. And Well, the purpose of this something. podcast, Alice, is to pat people like you and leagues of other people who are doing it right for unselfish motives yep. to pat you on the back and say... Thank you very much. It's because of you that a lot of these dogs got a second chance and a lot of people have got a, a, you know, like a new loving pet in their home or a service industry has got a dog that's, you know, helping save the country or in various different situations. So thanks, guys. I really do appreciate you. And if anyone is thinking about foster caring, it's you learn so much. Like for people who are up and coming trainers Mm. and things like that, Mm. you know, you learn the theory in the NDTF, but the behaviour side and the health side and all that sort of stuff is just stuff I've learnt through. This is the next dog that's got the next problem in my house and I've got to work it out. So it's definitely as far as learning more about dogs and seeing how they interact. And mm. every time I bring a do- new dog home, it's I learn something new. So mm. um, it's, it is great for that. You know, it's not for everybody and I don't go and say, you know, every trainer should foster a dog, but there's certainly all sorts of different ways they can help. But it, yeah, you do learn a lot if you, if you can do it, give it a go and learn how it all happens. Great. Awesome. Yeah, that's some sage advice. Thanks cool. for your time. Thanks no for worries. coming on. Thanks. Thanks for coming down to Canberra. You're welcome. Me and Jordan Peterson. Yeah, we're off to go close see him. Close personal friend. Both, close both personal friend. Two yeah. close personal friends in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, we're there. It's a few hours he starts. It'll be long over by the time you guys hear this. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Hmm. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. And doing that really helps us get the word out there and uh, lets more people find out about the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month will get you access to an extra educational episode per month. And we've started sneakily tricking out extras to people who offer offer more. So that's, that's really exciting. good. Yeah. You so we've got, yeah, we we got, got the $10 thing. tier, your little live Doing expose. Doing a live once a month, yeah. A live once a month. Pantsless. Pantsless, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. So we're yeah. going to pan down in the next episode. <laughs> and also in the $20 tier, there is going oh, to no, be... Oh, no, no, don't say it. Just no, no little surprise? No, just oh, I wasn't going to say. I was just going to say there's going to be a little surprise in the near future in the $20 tier. Yeah, that, that's perfect. Yeah. That's the teaser. Yeah. All right, wrap it up. Music. Music. <laughs>